Acts, Acts 20 is where we're going to be. Um, I was thinking about this uh, a little bit in preparing for this lesson, and I did not take the time to actually count it up. But considering that I'm the one speaking about half the time, and we've been together about four years, maybe about a hundred times that I've been the one speaking in front of the group that meets together here. I was going to say a hundred times I've stood before but you guys, but for a long time we like sat in a circle in my apartment, so I wasn't really standing. But uh, it's been a lot of times to, like, to get up and talk or to sit and talk or whatever. And so I was just reflecting on that, and I'm really thankful that not so much that I had those opportunities because I have no doubt that there are better people, like better speakers, I mean, like to do speaking than me, but just thankful that like we've had those times together that we've been able to read the word together. I was also thinking about all the like the books in the Bible that we've studied together and we've covered some serious ground, um, some things like twice over. And so I'm really thankful for that, too, because I feel like I've learned a lot Um learned a lot about the Bible even um, from you guys. So thank you for that. Um, the, the background of Acts 20, for those who don't know it outright or for those who know it and maybe can't remember all the details, um, specifically in Acts 19, Paul has been in Ephesus and he decides to move on from Ephesus because of some riots that have gone on. And I think he just decides it's time to kind of move on. And in that, uh, he heads to what is modern-day Greece, uh, Macedonia, right? So he sets sail across the Aegean Sea. In Acts chapter 20, verse 1, you see that. And he ends up spending three months, three months, three months, three months <laughs> with the churches um, it, it, there. And you see that in Acts uh, 16 and 17. Uh, he... he ends up spending time with these churches that he had already established in Acts 16 and 17. He goes back for a few months. Uh, and he ends up traveling to Troas, where he meets with the church there. And you might remember a story about a man named Eutychus who falls out the window and ends up dying because of that. And then he's raised up. That's a story that stands out in my memory because it's such an odd one. Um, an amazing one, though, God working there. Um, that's Acts 20, verses 6 through 12. So he leaves Troas. And it says that Paul sets his eyes on Jerusalem um, in that text there in verse 16. And so he begins journeying towards Jerusalem, kind of making stops along the way. So think about that. He was in Ephesus, and what we know about that is he spends a little over three years there. And he ends up kind of leaving, and we assume because of some of the riots and things that happen, he just thinks, it's time for me to move on. And he goes to Greece, and he kind of like, trickles his way back over time to but he never like goes back to Ephesus he actually sets his eyes on Jerusalem and it's like he almost intentionally avoids Ephesus and I don't think for any negative reasons but it's almost as if he knows that if he goes maybe he'll spend another three and a half years there he's just kind of like you know what I need I, my eyes are set on Jerusalem I know I got to go there so I'm just going to kind of like go by Ephesus but in his doing so, he certainly reaches out to, um, it specifically says the elders in Ephesus, and he basically requests for them to come meet him, kind of on the road, right? Like on the way. He doesn't want to stop there, but he wants to see the elders. And that's kind of what brings us up to Acts chapter 20. 
Um, Paul's in Miletus. He sends for them. Uh, and that it seems like he wants to kind of encourage them. And it's and I would add one last time. Like he wants to encourage them one last time because Paul kind of has this insight. God has been telling him for a few chapters, if you're reading Acts, you think of it in chapters, right? He's been telling him for a few chapters now that like some stuff's going to happen in Jerusalem. And part of that stuff that's happening in Jerusalem is him being bound up against his will and being persecuted. And it says specifically um, in verse 17 of Acts 20 um, that he ends up calling the elders to him because of the knowledge of that kind of awaiting him. He knows that it's probable, if not definitely, the last time that he's going to see them. In fact, when he talks to them, which we'll read here in a moment, he speaks like it's the last time he's going to speak to them. Um, as I think most of you know, Kirby and I plan to move uh, tomorrow. We're loading up the truck, and some of you guys are helping us do that. So thank you preemptively for those of you who are helping us do that. But it, I don't think this is like our last time to talk to you guys, but I felt like this is an appropriate text to kind of maybe meditate, think on, and pray on some of the types of things that someone like Paul would want to share with people that he's not going to see, right? Um, I think it's worth noting that we plan to see you guys again. This isn't like, we're done, I'm going to be bound up, and I'm never coming back, and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is there, right? That there's going to be distance, there's going to be time, there's going to be circumstances that are not as they were, right? And what does Paul say to people like that? What does he want to relay? There's a couple things that I want to offer as caveats. Certainly, I'm not an apostle. Uh, I hope that's understood. And if you've known me for the nearly five years I've been here, you know that's true. (laughs) I'm not an apostle. Um, And all the authority that comes with specifically being an apostle, but I do share a lot of the qualities. Paul was also a minister. He was also an evangelist. And I... uh, Think of myself that way. Those are roles I try to take on, and so I can share that with him. And certainly you guys are not elders. Like no one here is in the role of an elder for this congregation. You may be elder in that you're older, that you have wisdom, that you are godly, and I would hope that to be true of all of us, that we're elder in the faith, so to speak, that we're mature. Um, But I just wanted to offer that caveat that that exact relationship is not what's happening today. But it is a relationship between someone who's worked with you to people who have faith, right? Um, so let, let, let's look at a few of the things that happen, uh, what Paul says that I think I want to say as well. So uh, let's begin reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said... You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So that's the account of what Paul wants to say when he knows that he's not going to see the, El- the Ephesians in general, but specifically the elders again. This is like everything that's on his mind, right? And you could fairly say that this is everything God wanted him to say, right? Having the Holy Spirit, being an apostle that the Lord had sent to do this work. They're, they're one and the same. They're inseparable. Like what Paul wanted and what, Paul, what God wanted were intertwined, right? Um, that's what made him so effective because he wanted what God wanted, right? Um, I think there's a lesson to be learned from that in and of itself, but I'll step aside from that idea for a moment to offer kind of how I'm thinking about this this speech, I guess, as a way to put it. In verses 18 through 21, the kind of the first paragraph or so of this text, I'm, I kind of broke this into like just kind of a reminder of the nature of his ministry. Just like think about how I operated, right? And then the next part that we'll talk about here in a moment is 22 through 27, another paragraph or so. It's just kind of the uncertainty of his personal future. That's what I named it at first. And we'll talk in more detail about it. I thought that was not a great name because he seems very certain. So then I rephrased it to more of like what lies ahead, right? Because it seems uncertain, but actually it's very certain. Um, And then when you look at the next paragraph, 28 through 31, it's like a warning, right? A warning of some things up ahead. And then the last little bit, I only put as verse 32, though I read to the end of the chapter. I'll have some things to say about the end of the chapter. But verse 32 is a commendation to God and his word. And that's kind of how I want to break up how we look at this. And also how, like what I want to say to you guys. Okay, so just think about it in those terms. So in the first part, um, 18 through 21, a reminder of the nature of the ministry. First of all, I want to say some things about the details of what Paul said. First of all, Paul's own example um, that he talks about here is really important. This is the only time that we have uh, recorded for us 
by Luke or really anybody other than Paul himself, maybe, a speech to Christians. This is it. Like we see him preaching to non-believers. This is the only time we have the exact words of Paul speaking to Christians. Isn't that interesting? Like when you think about that, you almost want to say, no, that's not true. But it actually is. Like we have Paul saying what Paul said when he writes letters. Um, but this is the only time like we have an account of something Paul said that he didn't give us. Right? Um, not that that changes necessarily what we're looking at, but I just thought that was interesting because when I read – someone else said that. And when I read that, I was like, that can't be true. And then I looked a little while and I didn't do an exhaustive search, but I was like, yeah, I, I guess it is. Um, so it's important to kind of see what Paul's saying here. First of all, Paul is not an example instead of Jesus because when you read this text, it almost seems like he's like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Imitate me. Like that's all you need. I don't think he's saying like replace Jesus with me, but he's saying like I am an example along with Jesus or rather I'm an example because of Jesus. Right. Um, the reason that Paul can say things like this, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord with all humility is because he looked at Jesus and realized Jesus had all humility. And Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. Right. And certainly, as he says something like, with many tears and trials that happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, doesn't that sound like Jesus? He also says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Sounds like Jesus, right? Paul had done the best that he could to be Jesus. And I don't mean to like play God, but to be in the image of his creator, right? And because Paul had done the absolute best that he could do with that, he could fairly say, imitate me, right? Remember how I worked among you, right? We think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's really what he's saying, except in this text he's saying, remember how I imitated Christ, right? Um. What I, why I wanted to point that out is because I think it's really important that we see apostles were uh, teachers by example. I don't often think of apostles that way. I think of them as teachers by authority. Like they are one sent. They had seen Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And so they could say things and it mattered because they had the power to say them. But interestingly enough with the Ephesians, he said, not that. He didn't say, remember how authoritatively I came to you. He says, remember how I operated. I came to you in this manner, and, and I responded this way, and I acted this way, right? And so as I think about, like, my time among you guys and, like, your time with me, I feel as I can, like, I can say the same thing. Um, certainly, Paul probably made mistakes and probably had to apologize to people along the way in, in Ephesus, because he was a human, uh, and I'm no different than that. So I say, say this with that caveat. I would hope that you can remember the ministry that I've had and that Kirby have had and the times that we've spent with you, and you can look back at the humility that we've operated with, um, the times we've shared together, as he says in this text, how I, I lived among you, how I served you. Uh, 
I've never had been persecuted by Jews. I've never had that happen to me. But we've had tough times together. We've had some rough patches. Um, And so I would hope that as Paul says this as an apostle, but even more that as a friend and as a fellow Christian and as a minister to people who he was, were his friends and his fellow Christians and probably who ministered to him, right? He refers to that later. We'll talk about that some. I hope that uh, our own example is like Paul's. I hope that um, as we look over the last four years or so, I've lived here five years, but this group has kind of been meeting together for about four years. I hope that you, as I say, mimic these things. I hope you can see the truth in that. I hope you can uh, appreciate that's how we've tried to carry ourselves. Um, I feel like I've kept back nothing that was helpful. I don't always know what's helpful, but I feel like when I've known what was helpful, I haven't kept that back from you. I hope that you guys can feel as though I've always proclaimed and testified and taught publicly from house to house. Uh, Definitely publicly from house to house too. Um, And I hope that I have ultimately, as verse 21 says, testified of repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord. This is tough. Imagine there was a lot of this for Paul. I'm going to have to skip some notes. (laughs) Anyway. The application of this is that I think about what Robin said at our going away party kind of as a joke when he said that uh, he was like it's been real (laughs) that's what Paul's saying alright the next section I'm not really sure what's going to happen in California uh, for us And I definitely don't think uh, God's been talking to me, telling me that I'm going to be bound up or that we're going to be persecuted, though that may happen. Uh, What I think I'm seeing in verses 22 through 27 is, uh, particularly in verse 22, I'm not even crying now, now it's just my voice is weird. Uh, In verse 22, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. The part that stands out to me is constrained by the Spirit. And I think what he specifically means by that is not uh, what I mean by it, because what he means is literally the Spirit has been telling him that this is what's going to happen, right? You're going to go there. People are going to bind you up. It's going to be tough. You're going to go places you don't want to go. People are going to hold you on trial, all that kind of stuff. Chains, ropes, yada, yada, yada. 
And that's certainly true. Paul knows that, and he sets his eyes on going there, which is weird to me. I don't know why you do that. I would kind of fight it. Uh, but he says, I'm going there. I think we're constrained by the Spirit in a, a true sense, a biblical sense, but a different sense. We made this choice to go because we, we looked at the truth of God and the decisions ahead of us and the choices we had, the options, and we just felt constrained, so to speak. Um, and so like Paul, we're going constrained by the Spirit, but unlike Paul, there's no voice telling us what to do or what's going to happen. We just have faith. And so where he says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, I feel like sort of like he's joking, like he knows what's going to happen. But what he means is he doesn't know exactly how it's going to unfold. For all we know, he could have been in Jerusalem for years before that happened. He could have been an old man when that finally occurred. He could have labored for no time at all. They could have met him at the gates, you know? Like, he had no idea. He didn't know if it was going to come at night like Jesus. He didn't know if it would be in the day. He didn't know if it would be private or public. Like, he didn't know. He didn't know what his impact would be in Jerusalem. He didn't know, like, how many people he might meet. Like, he just didn't know. But he did know that he would be bound against his will, ropes and chains, and all of that. Like I said, I named this the uncertainty of personal future at first. But the more I read this, the more I realized Paul was very certain of what was going to happen. He didn't know how it would play out. And so maybe that's the uncertainty that we speak of. But he knew actually what was going to happen. In fact, look at what he says. I go bound by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Here's the uncertainty. I don't know the things that will happen to me there. Yet he talks about all the things that he knows are going to happen. Right? He says... The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And here's another certainty. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry with which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the court. So like all these things that he says are like, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I know these things are going to happen and I know how I'm going to be, right? I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be deterred. I don't, I'm not going to think about my life any differently. It's Jesus's life now, like whatever, right? And so certainly as we look ahead, uh, you guys aren't going to like get to be in the day-to-day -day part of our lives in California like you have been here. Uh, but I feel like we are mimicking Paul in that we're constrained. We feel compelled to make this choice and to do this thing. And we're not totally sure how it's going to play out. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about it, but there are certain things. Uh, we know that uh, we don't count our lives as dear to ourselves. We know that we'll be joyful. We know that we've received a ministry. We know that uh, as he says here in this text, he knows that, sorry, I meant to say he knows that he won't see them anymore. Barring some wacky circumstance or, you know, God knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, we have plans to see you guys again. So there are a lot of things that are uncertain, but there's a lot of certainty in being a Christian and doing God's work, right? Whether it's in 
Miletus, where he is talking to these people, or whether it's actually in Ephesus or whether it's in Jerusalem, his uncertainty is about maybe his involvement with them or maybe about the day-to-day of his life ahead of him. But his uncertainty is not as a believer. His uncertainty is not in his faith in God or what it means for his life or his joy or his ministry. And so the application of this is, and I lost this in the first point because I couldn't really see my notes there for a minute. Uh, The applications are twofold. When I work through this lesson, I don't want us to just talk about us moving, though that's a part of it. I want to talk about what this means for you guys moving forward. Um, And so what I didn't get to prior was, well, for us, the first part talking about how we worked among you in a certain manner is thankfulness for that. Like, I'm thankful to God that we were able to operate that way, that we've been honest and we've had faith enough to kind of do what we've done and had you guys around us to see that, to be a part of it, so that we could look to you for similar examples, all of that kind of good stuff. An application for you guys that I thought of was there's no reason not to be an example like that. Like Paul's talking about being an apostle and he's talking about being a minister. There's no reason... Any of us shouldn't be able to say, like, hey, look at the manner of my life. Like, I carry myself a certain way because I have faith and because I'm trying to do God's work and I think about him. Sometimes our excuse for that is because I'm a new Christian, right? Like, maybe you're a new Christian or a younger Christian or maybe you've fallen away for a while and you're, so to speak, a new Christian and that just practically speaking you haven't grown up yet in your faith. But that's no excuse, Like a new Christian should be able to still say, I'm doing what I know God wants me to do right now. May not know it all, may not have all the experience, but I know that I'm living the right way that I know to live, right? And you can look at that and see that. Well, in this next section, the application that I wanted to get to with this like uncertain uncertainty or whatever this section is, um is really for all of us, and that's to be of good courage when faced with the future and new challenges. Uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to play out for you guys. Certainly there is a future. Uh, God holds it in his hands, as we often say, right? And so we don't know what that's going to bring, the challenges, the question marks that that brings. For us, we feel like our immediate future is in this new place and whatever's going to happen there, but there's still a lot of unknowns. But whether you're here in Atlanta, whether you're in California with us, whatever, be of good courage. Face it with faith, right? And that's what Paul talks about, right? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, as he said before. I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, right? Because he had worked well and he had not held back anything. We should all be able to say that and be able to face the future with certainty, not because we know all the answers, but because we have faith, right? Let's look at the last or the next section here, 28 through 31. This is kind of a bummer section. Uh, If you're saying your goodbyes to people, this is like the stuff you don't want to say, right? This is the stuff that I'll speak for me, I guess. This is the stuff that I most readily, most often will omit from an important moment. 
like whether it's a goodbye, whether it's like, you know, someone moving away or whether someone's family member, you know, is has died like a mom or dad or just any kind of important moment where there could be like good advice, good counsel, like one of those moments that like when you think back on your life, it's like someone said something helpful or good. Like this is the kind of stuff that I almost always want to admit from that conversation or from that moment is like, here's the challenge of it. Here's the reality of it or the danger of a moment like that. And Paul doesn't step away from that. Yes, he's left a good example. Yes, he does have faith. Yes, they've been good to him and he to they, to them. But it doesn't mean that dangers will not come. Were they faithful right then? It certainly seems like it. They had elders. He had been there for three and a half years. Apparently loved them a lot. Like had a lot of time with them from house to house teaching. Right? Like there was a good community in Ephesus. And it would have been really easy not to say things like this because it would have been kind of a bummer to think about. Right? Like that's not the problem right now. It's not happening. So let's just like kind of if we don't talk about it, it won't be true then. Right? Well, Paul says... Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I don't know if Paul was operating with a similar kind of constraint of the spirit when he says this I don't think he was we don't have evidence that says like the Holy Spirit was telling him that this was going to happen in the same way that he knew maybe he'd be bound up in Jerusalem so what I think is happening here is Paul is speaking on probability (laughs) he's speaking on experience right He's seen it happen too many times. He knows how Satan operates. He knows the inevitability of mistakes and sins, right? And so he speaks this way to say, like, I know as much as any person could know through those intuition and experience that this is going to happen, right? So I speak in a similar way through intuition, experience, the teaching of the scriptures, that this is going to happen. I don't wish it upon you guys. I wouldn't ever wish it upon you. Uh, I'm always like, when I think about this church, I've always prayed for unity (laughs) and avoiding this kind of like wolves in the flock kind of stuff. But it's an inevitability. You're going to have people that try to come in to do this. And what's even scarier, perhaps, is in this text, he talks about how people will come from this group and do this, right? From outside and from within, like this is going to happen. He says, wolves will come in and not spare the flock, but from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, hoping to lead people away to follow them, right? I can't look across this room and be like, you know, Josh Jones... He's going to rise up among us. He's going to try to get a following and mess. Like, none of you guys strike me that way. And it may not even be anyone who's among us right now. 
right? But this happens. And I don't say this to make us all paranoid and, like, start pointing fingers and, like, playing that whole, like, spy game, like, double-crossing each other. And My point is, like, this is the reality. Um, Satan's wanted to do this for the four years that we've been together. And he'll probably find a way to find someone weak enough to let it happen, right? The reason Paul tells them this isn't so that they'll be afraid and point fingers. He tells them this to be real. He tells them this to be honest because he hasn't held back any truth that they need to hear, right? And he also says in verse 31, this is what I would say to you guys, don't clam up. You know, don't stop talking to each other and going to each other's houses and talking about tough spiritual topics. Like, that's a lot of people's way to deal with this is like, don't have any stance at all, right? Because then there isn't any problem. Or don't talk about potentially contentious things because then we can avoid the problem. Those are not the ways to deal with this. He says in verse 31, be alert, remembering that for three years... I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So there's two clues there. Be focused. Be alert. Right? Just pay attention. Um, But then the other part of this is like, know that Paul's example was the model for you. Like night and day, be thoughtful. Admonish each other. Care about it. Right? He does it with tears. Like don't just do it just to keep house and to keep things in line. But like care about what's going on care about what people are saying and why they're saying them and why they think what they think care about that be alert about it so for you guys it's to watch to be alert right to watch to remember i hope my example like paul's example is something that you can say like in a sense josh was alert about this kind of thing remember how he was alert and he prayed about it like be alert yourselves Remember, whatever example I've left for you about this, I hope it's a good one. But then also I think the implication of this is persevere through it, push through it. Um, Texts that talk about this is James chapter 1, verse 12. We won't read that one. Galatians chapter 6, I will read this one. So James 1, 12, if you want to read that on your own, it says something almost the same as this. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Persevere. Be alert. Right? Don't get tired of being alert. Uh, that's the difficulty about being alert is you wear out. Right? Like driving, it gets real easy to like zone out driving for a long time. You stop being alert, and that's when you either fall asleep or you know weird things, bad things happen. Being spiritually alert can be like that. You get kind of lost in like the monotony or the, the the no news is good news kind of thing and you just lose sight of being alert, forgetting to. Don't grow weary of doing good. For me, of course, I'll be praying you for you guys and visiting when I can. Um, but that leads us to verse 32, which is the end of this lesson because... I lost like five minutes of my time here because I couldn't get myself together there for a minute. Uh, But let's read verse 32 together. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you uh, the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Again, I'm not 
dismissing anything else at the end of this text because there's really good stuff that's said in here. I just I don't have time. And verse 32 really is the crux of what I wanted to get at. Uh, like exhorting you or commending you to God uh, and his word is really the end thing that I could think to do. Um, like I said, when, we stu- when we've studied together, for those of you who have been here for most of the four years that we've been together, you've, you've seen all that we've studied. Like, just in our time together, I don't know what everybody's doing at home or in your personal time, but just in our time together, you've kind of seen all the things that we've gotten to talk about and read through together. For those of you that have maybe just come in the last year, two years, whatever, just kind of started coming around, hopefully you're already seeing, like, we try to study a lot together. We try to read together and, like, pray together and talk about stuff. And that's what we've been doing for four years. And it's because of verse 32. I think that's the key to all of this. Like, at the end of it, when Paul's going to give like that last thing, right? Like whenever you say goodbye to someone or whatever, the last thing you say is usually the, like the most important you kind of reserve to like leave with them, right? Like when people come to – like my parents came this weekend for instance, right? And they came this weekend specifically to see us before we move. And they came in Friday afternoon like literally at like 1230 and then they left yesterday at like 3.30 or something like that, 4 o'clock, somewhere around there. And they did not say the stuff at 12.30 on Friday that they said at 3.30 on Saturday, right? Like when they got there, they were like, oh, you know, what do you need help with? Da, 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 da. But then at 3.30 on Saturday, they're like, we love you. We're going to miss you. You know, like let us know if you need anything. Like all the important stuff that they really wanted to say was at the very end. That's what I think verse 32 is. Right, like he's talked a lot about his example, a lot about what's gone on, a lot about a lot of stuff. But in verse thirty-two, if you're going to boil it down to one thing, he says, "I commend you to God, right, and to the word of His grace. Why? Because it's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. All the things that He's warned them about, all the good things that He's pushed them towards, can be accomplished." Or avoided if it's a warning by doing this. Right? At the end of the day, Paul's example was really nice to have. It was great that he spent three and a half years for them and probably was like invaluable in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, his his first appeal is much less than his latter appeal, which is to God and his word of his grace, right? And that's what I, I'm gonna give to you guys. Uh Paul gave the Ephesians about three years of his life. I don't know how to exactly add it up. It's like three and a half years, and then there's some like weird times. So let's just, between three and four years of his life, right? And at the end of the day, at the end of that time together, when he knows there's no more time together, the thing that he wants to give them is God and his grace, his gracious words, right? We have spent about between four and five years here and at the end of our time here it's the same gift it's the same commendation that bolsters you and us that helps us avoid the 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 warnings the dangers ahead uh it's god and his gracious words so keep your eyes on god and his words and for us we'll be doing the same thing um I hope you know that, like, in verses 33 and 34, Paul says, like, 
I didn't do this for gold or silver. Obviously, that's true for us as well. Um, but he also says, we've worked diligently in verse 35. In all things I've shown to you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Probably many of us know, like, you can't find that quotation of Jesus really anywhere. He quotes it, so Jesus must have said it. And certainly, he lived like that. Like, we could, we could say, even though we don't have that quote, that makes sense, right? Um, I hope our time here has, first of all, for us personally, I hope God sees that. We're honest to that. Uh, but I also hope that you guys, like, have seen that in us because we've seen it in you. Um, and don't lose sight of that because I think in many ways uh, as we're commended to God it's on that basis that we kind of understand that God is God because he is given right who wants to be a part of a God that doesn't give like who wants to know a God that's selfish and takes and takes and takes the reason God draws us to himself is because he's giving and giving and giving and that's that's appealing, right? That's like a fundamental like appeal to us is that he blesses and he gives and he makes promises. And so I hope we understand that that's true. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And I hope our time here has been marked by that. Um, so this has probably been a hodgepodge of thoughts. It's been a lot like a, like kind of a dump of thinking and feelings from the past week or a month uh, but I hope it's true and helpful I thought it might be good for us to end in a prayer so let's do that God thank you for taking care of us thank you for your son and these people here We ask that you watch over us, that you help us remember the truths that we've seen in your word today, and that you bless us. Help us to be a united church here and avoid the uh, temptations that can come our way and the uh, those who would draw us away from your son. Thank you for the time we've had together and how you've watched over us. And if there's anyone here today that needs to make changes in their lives, Father, help them see that and help us be useful to them in that. Thank you for all of this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.